Casey. And I'm Emily. And you're listening to Macabre Minds, a true crime podcast. Okay. What so. What are in this week, Emily? I don't. Yeah, all right. I didn't tell you. Oh, well. No, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, well, okay. Have you ever seen the movie Chicago? Like the musical? Chicago? Chicago. Oh. <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> Oh, I thought, thought it was planned. Chicago. <laughs> no, 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 no. I have not. Okay. I've heard of it. Not. Okay. I've not heard of Chicago, but I've heard of. Chicago. No, I haven't either. That's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Coming to off Broadway, Chicago. Yeah. No. Um. Okay. Well, that musical is actually based on a real crime or four real crimes. So that's what I'm talking about today. The Ooh. real murderesses who inspired that musical slash play interesting um so and this of course happened in chicago mm-hmm. um in the 20s and in the cook county jail there was a whole section dedicated for women which had never been done before in the united states um so yay chicago for female killers <laughs> i can't believe that yeah like i mean it just that was just the 20s that's insane yeah. um yeah mm-hmm. i just totally got distracted <laughs> <laughs> okay anywho um but women in this prison, they received a lot of fan mail and gifts, and people were, like, really into them. They were, like, celebrities, pretty much, these – the women on Murderous Row, they called it. So uh, weird. Yeah. And they didn't really fear for their lives because it was usually an all-male jury, and they would never let an attractive, charming young woman hang. So they usually got off, too, even though they totally wow. did it. Yeah. So, it's 1924, and <laughs> Maureen, Maureen Dallas Watkins was the only female reporter at the Sh- wow, the Chicago Tribune. I almost said Chicago. Uh, <laughs> and she took an interest in these women and went to interview them. And she took these stories that she got and wrote the play Chicago, which premiered in 1926. So No way. Yeah. So Buula Annan is the character or the real life woman who inspired the character Roxy Hart in the musical. Um, at 24 years old, she was married twice already and was a mother. And she was cheating on her husband, Albert, with a man named Harry. Um, and Harry was a married man with a child. So it was all very scandalous. Scandalous. Mm-hmm. Um, and on April 3rd, 1924, Bula shot her lover, Harry, with her husband's revolver. And she waited hours to, like, call anybody. And she was playing the record Hula Lou over and over and over again. Um, as she waited, like, thinking, like, oh, what should I do about this? Um, and she decided to eventually call her husband, Albert. And she said oh my god, you gotta come home, Albert. I just shot this guy who just... He came into our house and tried to make love to me. So... <laughs> um, 
So Albert comes home to see her covered in blood and he calls the police thinking that she's innocent. And the next morning, woman plays jazz air as victim dies was on the front page of like every newspaper. So word got out. Um, But the story had changed quite a few times. Albert had told the police that he was the one who shot Harry um, to try and cover for her. But the police weren't buying that. And wow. then Vula said that she she did shoot Harry to save her honor, um, but that she didn't know him. She didn't know this guy. And then they were like, we don't buy that either. And she said, OK, well, I was going to have him over for drinks and we were seeing each other, but I was going to call off this whole relationship. And he said he was going to kill me because I was going to leave him. So I grabbed the gun and I shot him before he could shoot me. And I kept the record playing to try and calm me down. So, yeah, her story changed quite a few times. You know, I just needed some music to, like, breathe through this, what I had just done. As one does. <laughs> um, in court, she always made sure she dressed impeccably, looking cute, as always. Um, and her lawyer, W.W. O'Brien came up with this story that they both reached for the gun um, at the same time, which is a song in the musical, if you know it. Um, so that was real. That was a real story they concocted to, like, make her look, you know, sympathetic. Um, and Albert, poor guy, despite knowing that she had cheated on him, was very, very loyal to her, and he helped her. He got money for her defense and gave her, like, supplies and things while she was in jail um yeah poor guy that is okay for one the story of both reaching for the gun what is it out on the dining room table i mean i guess it is the 20s like i don't know where they kept their gun but the fact that it's just out and loaded and ready to go no for real gun safety who is it who is we both reached for it at the same time but still, what, who, why? What What initiated that? Basically, Hello. I don't know. This The story keeps changing. It'll change again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, basically it was to like um, put intention away from her, you know, like, oh, he was going for it. So she went for it just to save herself, like kind of a thing. Yeah. And um. So the women on Murderous Row, they were competing for headlines at this time because if you were in the press, you were more likable. And so reporters would come up to their cell bars and interview them and the women would try their best to make sure they were on the front page and they dressed nice and charming and were funny. Basically, you were a star. And she had a lot of fans, Baula. They sent her meals, flowers, clothes, like they loved her. And... But Baula didn't like sitting around jail waiting, so she wanted to speed up her trial, and she announced to everyone that she was pregnant. (gasps) Um, Like, oh, no. Oh, my God. Um, And her pregnancy could be considered by a jury, and her execution, if she got one, would be delayed until she gave birth. So her lawyers spun it again to make it so sympathetic. She was a simple housewife who got seduced and tricked into this affair, and she tried to end it. He was going to kill her, and she had to protect her baby, which she knew was Albert's, of course, not this guy's. Oh, of course. Her husband's. Somehow you know. Yeah. 
And so, you know, Baula took the stand and she was a perfect actress. She looked beautiful. She cried. She said she was um, that Harry claimed he had killed another woman before for skipping out on him. And that's why she was like, I had to go for the gun because I knew he was capable of killing me and he'd do it again. So all 12 men on the jury found her not guilty. And they even took a picture with her before leaving court. Um, and Bula and Albert divorced three months after her release and she never had a baby. She was not pregnant. Oh, really? So, That's hmm. nuts. Can't yeah. you go to jail for lying to the jury? Yeah. I mean, I guess Pretty she could have just falsified anything saying that she miscarried or something. Yeah. I think she might have done so or. Yeah. yeah. Um. She did marry again in 1927, but they divorced four months after their marriage. And when the play was being written, they at, reporters asked Bula if she liked the character Roxy Hart, which was based off of her. And she said, oh, I'm very excited to see the play, but I'm anxious how they're going to how I'm going to look. Um, but unfortunately, before she could see the play, she died. Um, she wasn't even 30 years old of um tuberculosis yeah no way so she got off didn't hang but then died not too long later karma after that yeah karma man i know you know that is nuts yeah and she her claim to fame will be um the chicago tribune wrote she was the prettiest woman ever accused of murder in chicago oh why why does that matter she killed someone i know prettiest girl and she got away with it and she was pretty yeah man that's nuts that was our first girl girly there are four women here um so belva gartner is another woman and she inspired the character velma kelly in the musical slash play um, she was 40 years old at this time when she went to jail. She had a lot of last names from a lot of different men Ooh. over the years. But at this time, her last name was officially Gartner. Um, but she was seeing a guy named Walter Law. And they were going to nightclubs in Chicago, drinking illegal liquor because, you know, prohibition was happening. Um, and... On March 12, 1924, police found Walter's body in Belva's sedan in front of her Southside apartment. There was a bottle of gin next to him and a gunshot wound to his head from a pistol. Um, and it was Belva's pistol that was a gift from her ex-husband. And oh. Belva said of this incident, I liked him and he loved me, but no woman can love a man enough to kill him. They're not worth it because there are always plenty more. So she's like, I couldn't even be bothered to have killed this guy. It wasn't me. <laughs> there's um, more. What does that even mean? What? Like, there's always more. Yeah. More I men. That, but yeah, I know. But like, then why? Oh, so she's saying don't like, I wouldn't kill him because I could just move on. I yeah. get it. Yeah. I get it. Okay. Like something like that. Mm hmm. She was found inside her apartment, pacing in a blood-drenched robe 
and she denied knowing anything about his death. She said, we were sitting there talking. Mr. Law said something about holdup men and said he was afraid of them. And I don't know what happened next. I remember that I saw blood on his face. I was frightened. He didn't say anything and I didn't hear any shots. I just got out of the car and ran away. So basically, she's like, I didn't see anything. I heard nothing. I ran away, basically. And and she didn't report anything, right? No. What? No. They just found her in her apartment because he was found in a car outside her apartment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah okay. And what did the gunshot come from inside the car? You know, that can yeah. easily be seen. You're like, ma'am. Yeah. Right. Like a window would be broken if someone like shot yeah. him from the outside. Right. But her defense was kind of unique. They were kind of stumped by it. Could she be found guilty if she was drunk and didn't remember if she was the one who shot him? Because that was what her defense went for. They were like, she didn't remember anything. So how can you prove that she even did it? That's what they uh... Yeah. But she was very confident that she would get off because her ex-husband, who wanted reconciliation with her, had hired three attorneys to defend her. And they were very good at their jobs. And, again, the reporters and the jury members described Belva as the perfect lady, the epitome of class, and she got her nickname as the most stylish woman on Murderous's Row. No. So, once again, we're seeing, like, this kind of, like, celebrity of crime that happened in Chicago. If you thought the movie exaggerated it, you are wrong. It was, <laughs> that was exactly how it was. Now I really need to see Chicago. It's a really good movie. I love that musical. Anywho. So the doctors and officers testified that she was not drunk when she was questioned. And um, Belva said she had the gun in her car because she was a taxi driver. So she kept it there if there was ever like an emergency with like a crazy passenger or something. Um, so she doesn't deny that the gun is hers, but she's like, again, I don't remember using it. I didn't do it. Um, so, but I, that on defense, that defense of like being way too drunk is absurd. Like, I know that doesn't that would hold never up fly court. today. No, that would no. never fly. Yeah. Like that's, that's a lot of like what a lot of like men try after like, like in rape cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't matter. <laughs> It, it, it happened. It, it should it. not hold up in court. I cannot no. believe that that was even a defense. I know. And that that was literally all they had. That's literally all they had. On June 5th, 1924, Belva's verdict was in. The newspapers wrote about the details of her beautiful fancy outfit and how poised and collected she was. And she was declared not guilty. And she also took pictures with her lawyer and the jury and she just was laughing and she was like, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. And she remarried her ex-husband and went to Europe. Uh, yeah. So she also got off like just on that, just on. I didn't remember doing it, so I must not have done it. And then these men that remarry her, like this ex-husband that like wanted her back. I mean, for one, I guess he saw her true side because he'd been married to her before. Yeah. But also, like, you realize she just killed another man that she was like. Literally. You know, they don't see it as a red flag. I don't flag. know. 
Yeah, that's kind of a huge red flag. Like, yeah. Wow. It's crazy. I don't know, man. I guess looks get you far, I suppose. <laughs> I know, like, um, like that one phrase, oh, she's so good looking, she could get away with murder. Literally. From somewhere. <laughs> uh, it comes from 1920s Chicago is where it comes yeah, from. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but, however, some people were not happy. Walter Law's widow, Frida, was quoted saying, there's no justice in Illinois, no justice. Walter paid, why shouldn't she? Yeah. Um, which, poor poor woman, I know. Well, because uh, she's a female and not... not um enthralled by her looks yeah exactly the other murderesses mourned the loss of belva in the prison because she was like a leader kind of they really liked her and they said the place wasn't the same without her she was the best dancer there the best card player um so (laughs) people still a fan of her after all this time um belva and william yeah they did remarry but they broke up and got back together many many times um he once said that she tried to kill him, but she said, oh, I don't remember what we quarreled about. Nothing much. It wasn't unusual for him to get angry at me and then just not talk to me for a few weeks. So that was the uh, kind of life they had until they both died. <laughs> so That's healthy. I know, right? Um, Belva lived until 1965 when she died of cardiovascular disease. So she lived... A decent amount of time, you know, not super old, unfortunately. Twenties well, to sixties, yeah, not not really that old. She was but... forty in nineteen twenty four, so. Oh, oh yeah. okay. Um, so the next woman that we're going to talk about is Kitty Malm, and she inspires the character Go to Hell Kitty in the musical, <laughs> who uh. If she's in it very briefly in the movie, but she's the woman who kind of steals Roxy's spotlight after Roxy's acquitted. Um, but in real life, Catherine Baluk Mom was 17 when she had her daughter with an abusive man named Max Baluk. Um, she was a young immigrant from Hungary working in a factory for money, and he was from Russia and was a private in the U.S. Army in World War One. And he was 20 years her senior when they got together. She's 17. He's 20 years older than her. Oh, my Um, gosh. Yeah. And they had a daughter, and she left him to try and better provide for her daughter, who's she named, or uh, she called her daughter Tootsie, which is Kitty and Tootsie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Kitty had asked this man named Otto Mom to pretend to be her husband to try and scare Max off. And it worked, but then she kind of got involved with Otto, and she probably shouldn't have because he was a felon and a murderer. And they couldn't marry because she was still married to Max, but she started going by mom anyway. Um, She really liked the protection that he gave her from being this scary guy. Yeah. Um, Even though she's running from one scary man to another. But, like, Otto, I guess, like, didn't – he wasn't, like, abusive to her, at least. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The two of them broke into a sweater factory November 4th, 1923, um, just to rob the place. It was like a rob, theft job, whatever. Okay. But there were, like, night guards there, and things got 
ugly. And Otto shot both of them, and one of them died. And both Otto and Kitty were wounded, but they got away in a getaway car. But two others had confessed to the crime the next morning, a couple named Bockelman and Beck. And the deceased had even said, get Bockelman before he died. So there was all this confusion of was it Otto and Kitty or was it this other couple who confessed? It was very confusing situation. Why would another couple confess? I don't know. I think they were involved. I think all four of them did it together. But there was always this confusion about it. Okay. Um. Otto was caught in the middle of another robbery when the police got to him, and Otto confessed to the shooting at the sweater factory, but he said that both he and Kitty fired guns, and it was definitely a bullet from Kitty's gun that killed that man, not his. So, now the police were going to turn to Kitty, but she turned herself in because she was desperate to see her daughter and she thought it would look better And they'd let her see her daughter if she, like, complied with them. So she said she was involved in the robbery, but that she never shot a gun and she did not kill the security man, Edward. Uh, His name was Edward. Um, So the police were like, well, we don't we don't know what's going on here. So they brought all four of them in as suspects. And the two men looked very similar, but the women were not or they did not. So they were like, well, maybe the night guard you know edward got confused because these men look similar but we still don't really know so all four of them were indicted for the crime just in case (laughs) Um, yeah just in case we don't know who just in case we're not really sure um she was labeled as this tiger woman and she was like this wild crazy person (laughs) kitty Um, the tiger woman yeah wow it's creative (laughs) Um, but she kind of played all this off. She was, she said, men, they're brave as the devil, but they can't hold out the way a woman can. Now me, they could beat the hell out of me and I wouldn't have squealed. Um, she was kind of, she was not afraid to be found guilty, but she was afraid to be sentenced to die, she said. So, and despite this quote saying she could hold out, um, she did try to kill herself twice, um, before her conviction because i don't know the pressure or something well like that's the thing is like she confessed pretty she turned herself in yeah she confessed pretty quickly so i don't understand what this whole tough girl attitude is i don't know yeah the tough girl thing falls apart pretty quickly (laughs) um so i don't know why she tried it in the first place but um, at her preliminary hearing, Bockelman and Beck both said they were innocent, so they were exonerated and let off. Otto pled guilty to avoid a trial, and Kitty pled not guilty, so she had to go to trial. Um, the first day of court, her two-year-old Tootsie was brought in, probably to get, like, I'm a mother, you can't hang me, you know? Yeah. Um, state attorney Harry Pritzker was the prosecutor on her in Belva's cases, and he wanted the strictest possible sentence for Kitty. And Harry Pritzker is the great grandfather of Governor J.B. Pritzker of Illinois. No way. I was going to ask. I was like, oh, that's kind of ironic, a Pritzker in Illinois. They are connected. Mm -hmm. Um. 
So a woman named Blanche King was a witness to this crime and, well, not to the crime, but she was a witness who stayed in the same boarding house as Kitty and she claimed she saw Kitty have two guns on her at all times. Um, So that didn't look good for her, but in Kitty's favor, the survivor of the um the robbery said he had never he never saw a woman on the premises that night so it was very conflicting of people saying it was def- it definitely happened and then even the survivor was like no she wasn't there it was weird oh uh, i feel kind of bad for kitty like i'm almost yeah a little bit like i know i think she just got caught up with the bad crowd i think so too i yeah Kitty took the stand and said that she was at the factory, um, but I didn't, she said, quote, I didn't know they planned a robbery when I started out with Otto and Eric for a joyride. Otto tried to shoot me, too, because he feared I would tell that he had killed Lemon, which is the man who died. Um, and she also said that she had never fired a gun in her life. And she said I was just kind of there when it happened, pretty much. Um, but she was found guilty on February 26, 1924 and given life in prison. What? Yeah. And when the verdict was said, she waved her arms around and shook her, um, quote, waved her arm arms and shook her black bobbed hair, moaning in a loud voice to the bailiffs gathered around her. And she said, keep away. I don't want to see anybody. And then fainted. And she was placed in a chair and carried back to her cell, and she fainted again. Um, she was, like, in shock. Um, but she later said she was in shock but also relieved because she had expected to get the rope and was just relieved that it was life in prison instead. I guess and she that's swore. True. What? I, I was just like, I guess that's true. Yeah. I guess she, it's better than the alternative. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I feel bad for her, though. Like, all these women yeah. getting getting free for actually killing somebody. And then when I'm like, I don't know if she did it. Guilty. Yeah, right. Like, the one that seems, <laughs> maybe she actually didn't do it. Like, didn't really seem capable of it. She was just in a bad situation. Yeah. And, like, I believe that. I don't believe that Otto, well, I mean, he could have. But, like. I mean, I feel like if Otto wanted to kill her, he would have killed her. So I don't yeah. really believe that he tried to kill her necessarily. But I do I do believe that she wasn't necessarily like, like she's guilty on some degree. Like yeah. There and witnessing it and mm-hmm. all that. But but was she the one who actually shot him? Maybe not. Right. No, we're not sure. Hmm. But she swore that she would be a model prisoner and a good citizen and that she hoped to get an appeal um Otto also got life in prison but then he killed somebody else in prison so he got another life sentence on top of that um so he doesn't answer that right there right not a model citizen and he was a killer before this whole incident too right ugh but Kitty was a stenographer for the prison and she was allowed to see her daughter and Pritzker who had prosecuted against her in the past, suddenly became like her fiercest supporter for an appeal. And he said, it was a mistake. I fully believe she's innocent. And he like went, he like fought for her to get a pardon. Um, really? On, 
Unfortunately, she died of the flu and bronchopneumonia before she could get no a pardon way. in 1932. How old was she? Um, I'm not sure. She was just, no, because she was only 17 when she had her daughter. Right. So and young. Yeah, she was. Yeah, you're right. Oh, my gosh. Because her daughter was like four by the time she got a conviction. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And she was only like, I, I feel so bad. I mean, the flu, they probably just didn't have very good health care, like in the prison system at all. Yeah. Because, okay, yeah, the flu like can be really rough. But what happened to her was she got the flu, which then led to pneumonia. Mm-hmm. So then she died from the pneumonia. But really, it was be- it was because of the flu. It's the same thing. Like people die of COVID pneumonia. Yeah, they get, they get COVID and then it gets into their lungs and causes a pneumonia. So that's what happened to her. So like, yeah. are you kidding me? She like completely preventable young woman mm-hmm. could not have died of the flu. No. And it's something that I'm not going to say it's like super easily taken care of now because like as we see, people still can die of that. But like, damn. Not, not very common in her age group yeah <laughs> very 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 no. rare and yeah they have other issues going on mm-hmm. i feel bad for her and <laughs> unfortunately her character in the play is not very sympathetic um you'll see she's kind of a brat who you who's like stuck up about committing the crime so i think she was portrayed not accurately like um Baula and Belva were right so, unfortunately there's that too or who knows maybe she was maybe she just didn't she wasn't as like perceived as well by just you know from the outside yeah and so she wasn't as well liked and so the other women got off because they were able to put on a show where she just wasn't as naturally well liked yeah <sighs> and that that's crazy. It's very sad. Yeah. Um, and then there's one more woman who we're gonna talk about. Her name is Sabella Needy. And her character, or she is the person who inspired the character of the Hunyak in Chicago. She doesn't even have a name in the play, but she is uh in the, like the cell block tango. She's the woman who says, like, uh-uh, like it wasn't she doesn't really speak English in the play. Um, but she like insists, uh-uh, I did not do the crime. It wasn't me. Um, but she's sentenced anyway. So okay. that is her. Um, Sabella was an Italian immigrant, and she and her husband spoke no English. They had three sons and two daughters. Um, Sabella's husband was witness to beat her and her children, and the last known altercation between them before he disappeared was between her husband, Needy, and their middle son, Michael. But Michael actually got the upper hand and he beat his father pretty severely and then took off. So Michael was also kind of missing at this point, too. Um, on July 29th, 1922, Francesco Needy was seen at 7 a.m. at the market. And Sabella said that she saw him at 9 p.m. that night. And then he said he was going to go outside to check on the oat fields, fields at their farm. 
And an employee of theirs said they saw Francesco around 11 p.m., but around 5 a.m. the next morning, July 30th, Sabella reported him missing. She and her sons and the police spent that whole morning looking for him. And after weeks of searching for this guy, no leads, Cook County Deputy Sheriff Paul Dasso came up with charges of adultery and fornication against Sabella and her farmhand, Peter Crudell, just to kind of be like, we need a charge in this case. We have no leads or anything. So adultery, fornication, and that is their motive for killing this guy, even though she had reported him missing and she had searched for him. She's been part of the search party. Yeah, there's no body either. No. What? It's so ridiculous. It's like, what the heck is this? It's just, it's so crazy how all over the place it is. Because it's like, these first two, it's like, oh, a woman committing a murder? What? No, never. Mm -hmm. They're dainty. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh, she definitely did it. Yep. 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 This is what happened. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's crazy how it, like, the justice system then was just like, all Which, over place. any way the wind blows is like <laughs> yeah. what are they going to be feeling today right um james who was sabella's eldest son implicated his mother and paul immediately in the crime and he used this opportunity to take control over the farm and their estate um and he began selling pieces of his father's estate three days after her arrest so this was really a power grab for james um, so I'm pretty sure he was thrilled that his mother got arrested and he just threw her under the bus. Totally. Um, her youngest daughter, Teresa, said she saw her father's body thrown into the Des Plaines River. Um, again, no other witnesses or anything. Charles, who was the youngest boy, refused to speak to the police until talking to his brother, Michael, and Michael said, oh, yeah, Charles saw Peter hit their father with a sledgehammer, the farmhand, and they tied him up and threw him in the river. But Charles was like, I can't I can't tell you where, though. I don't know. I don't remember. So the children are kind of all saying whatever they want, and the police are eating it all up. They're like, oh, yeah, totally. This is totally, totally true with no evidence. It's true. Why are they going against their mother so harshly? Especially I think, if their father was so, so abusive. I know. It's really shocking to me. I don't know. It's just like I the oldest, the two oldest want all the money and like the estate and the youngest are doing what the oldest say. But like, it's crazy to me that they would do that to their mom. I don't know. I wonder like what, I guess they must have not had a very good relationship. I guess not. Um maybe wow. like resentment like you didn't protect me from him or something i don't know yeah um so peter was booked for francesco's murder and sabella was charged as an accessory though charles the youngest boy did later say oh my mother knew nothing about this murder but then he changed his story again saying oh yeah mom held my dad down while peter killed him so the story's constantly changing too. Yeah, and, and yeah, I mean that's com- like you can't even take anything for. Or what am I trying to say? Like you can't even believe anything they say anymore. 
yeah. once they change the story once they're in- incredible they're mm-hmm. incredible they're not credible yeah <laughs> one of those <laughs> incredible um no yeah the, it should not have been taken into evidence at all and it was um it's ridiculous police stopped looking for francesco's body on september 27th a month after her arrest Sabella's attorneys asked the courts to turn over James's claim of inheritance back to Sabella. And there was no body, no evidence, and there was no evidence of adultery even between Sabella and Peter. So the two of them were released December 6th, and the oldest son, James, was ordered to return his father's estate to his mother. Okay. Um, but James had already sold $235 worth, which is $3,500 today. Okay. Um, so the probate court, because of this, offered Sabella $800, which is $12,000 today, with an option of future increase. So she kind of gets paid back, you know, for this. Yeah. Um, Sabella and Peter actually did end up marrying March 7th, but it is believed that they did it to try and avoid further adultery charges um, that they weren't really together before. So, but nobody really knows for sure. Um, On March or May 9th, 1923, a decomposed body was found in a storm drain and Sabella, Peter and, and her son Charles are now charged with murder again. Um, Wait, can you even be? Oh, because they didn't have a trial. They didn't have a conviction. So once, if they had been convicted, that would have been a different story. But like, they were arrested, but nothing came of it. So they could be, yeah. Um. So on July second, nineteen twenty-three, jury selection started, and people were very harsh. They made fun of Sabella for not speaking or understanding English. They said she looked like a peasant. She was ugly. She was poor. Um, And the trial was very frustrating because they had no proper interpreters. Sabella could not understand the questions that the lawyers were trying to ask her, like, on the stand. And the spectators in the courtroom, like, laughed. They thought it was, like, this big, funny joke at all of the confusion and her attorney was not competent at all he didn't know what he was doing he was not helpful and the judge even told him like you need to stop asking these questions that are not helpful to your client and he was like he called like heresy like randomly for like no reason but despite all of this no mistrial was ever called for when it should have been oh my god yeah so the jury found sabella and peter guilty and both were sentenced to hang um which is just ridiculous because that trial was just a farce you know like it was nothing because nobody understood anything oh my gosh yeah. can you, that would never happen today can you believe that i mean i know and it's just because she wasn't well liked once again mm-hmm. because she wasn't she, she wasn't, wasn't like beautiful you know their idea of what's beautiful that yeah. is ridiculous and that and like the way women are judged, that's absurd. Mm-hmm. Also, they found him in a storm drain. That does not fit the story of being in the Des Plaines, right? I mean. Right. And they don't even the- know if that body was his. They It was so badly decomposed. They don't know whose body it is. They're just like, hmm, it's his. They kind of guessed. They're so, assuming. So they can't. There's no murder weapon. There's, they don't mm-hmm. even know if it's him. 
Oh no. my gosh. And then they, they're willing to hang someone. They're willing to take two people's lives over yeah. this. Yeah. Just, and honestly, it's not only the fact that she's a woman, it's probably the fact that she's she doesn't speak English and mm-hmm. exactly. they're discriminating against her. They can do anything they want. She doesn't know. And in fact, she did not even know when they said the verdict that she was going to be hung. She she didn't understand English. So she didn't know until the next day that when people were trying to convince, like, tell her. And she just kept saying, they choke me. They choke me. Because, like, she couldn't understand. Like, can you imagine? No. Yeah. Um, Her attorney complained that tons or like dozens of other prettier, more charming women on murderous's row were being let off. But because his client was plain and unable to speak English, she was being punished way more severely. She was the very first woman to be sentenced to death in Illinois. Um, wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. But people yeah. rose to her defense, actually. Um, the wife of one of the jury members threatened to leave him if Sabella hung for this. Her cellmates wrote letters in her defense the pastor and the congregation of Olivet protested against her execution. Wait, Olivet Nazarene University? Yes. Yeah. What? <laughs> mm-hmm. That's where my sister went to school. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. Woo, Olivet. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, they protested against it. They said it was not um that it was like un- unfair and unjust and she didn't yeah. deserve it and yeah um but the chicago tribune supported her execution they said her death would put an end to husband killing as a sport in chicago um which it kind of was at this point but like she shouldn't take the fall for what others did like that's it's not up to her no like okay so so it stops other people but that doesn't mean that she did it right that's not just or fair i don't understand like there it's one thing for someone to be like okay you know what you need to go to jail for 25 years because you killed your husband like or you're suspected of killing your husband but we don't have a body or whatever Mm -hmm. like it's that's one thing when you're like i mean there isn't the best evidence but to be able to kill someone, you have to be pretty damn sure. Yeah. And there's not mm-hmm. near enough evidence. There's oh, no. no. Like, none. So, Helen Ceresi, I don't know if that's how you say her last name, but she was an attorney and a recent graduate from DePaul University, which is another university here in Illinois. Mm-hmm. And she was the youngest woman to ever pass the bar exam at 20 years old. And she kind of started this group of prominent Italian attorneys in Chicago who would take up Sabella's case and they would be oh. her interpreters for her. Oh, awesome. Um, and the judge who originally sentenced her to death did not like that the people were kind of like rising against this and she was getting a supporting um, like a support group. So they pushed her execution date sooner through all of this and sabella attempted suicide twice um thankfully neither of those attempts worked um 
And her attorney was discharged, the incompetent one, and she gained six new attorneys. One of them is Helen, who could help her. And on September 25th, with less than a month to go before she was supposed to be executed, the Supreme Court decided to stay her execution and review the case again. So the arguments were heard on December 15th by the Illinois Supreme Court, and the arguments that they presented were thus. Sabella was originally promised immunity by law enforcement if she made no denial of guilt, and the prosecution promised they would go easy on her. They did not. They did not follow Mm -hmm. that up at all. There was no proof that the body they found was actually her husband. It was... There was no scientific, like, testing available at that time. Like, you couldn't... If you couldn't tell who the body was, there was no way you would know. Um, The children's testimony was wildly unpredictable, contradictory, and Mm -hmm. there was also coercion. I can never say that word. Coercion. Yeah. With the older children influencing the younger children as well. And there was no evidence at all connecting Sabella or Peter to this crime. And lastly, the last argument that they presented was that the trial judge of the original court case failed to appoint a competent attorney who actually knew what they were doing and her attorney made things a lot worse for her um so on april 14th 1924 because of these wonderful people who went to their defense sabella and peter were spared the death penalty and their case um was they got exonerated and wow. Sabella and Peter were both released. Yeah. Um, the judge ruled that they were convicted solely on the fact that they did not deny their guilt when the children implicated them. And that was a not that was not enough for them to get a conviction. So, no. yeah, it shouldn't have it shouldn't have ever happened that way that they were even convicted in the first place. Wow. Yeah. You know, that's crazy that you say that this was hardly even covered, like in the in the movie Chicago or in the mm-hmm. um, musical, because this that's like the most intense one in my mind. I know it. Yeah, really. The musical focuses on the first two women that I talked about. And then these other the last two women, their parts are so small when really they had like. There was so much there. You know, like she honestly, I would watch a movie about this woman. Yeah. Like, and I feel like that would be a very interesting movie. Yeah, for sure. The first woman to be convicted to death, but then she didn't actually get yes. the death penalty. You know, that's but like, wow. And I think it just really tells you something like the fact that people like will will join together when they think that something is just so grossly wrong. Like, yeah. I mean, I think it's I think it's ridiculous that that didn't wasn't initiated and until after she got the death penalty. But at least people noticed. Somebody noticed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm and like, yeah, I'm happy that that like, happened. For the fact that, like, imagine being that attorney that <laughs> messed that up so badly that literally it's, so it's used by the following attorneys to state her innocence. Yeah. Yeah, you were this bad that this, yeah, that yeah, you come into consideration. Like, yeah. yeah, that she actually got given the death penalty when they promised not to. 
mm-hmm. were that bad. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah, because she was promised immunity and he didn't even bring that up in court. He didn't use it. Uh, he, what a guy. What a guy. I wonder how Some successful people. he ended up being. Probably not very. <laughs> I would imagine. Maybe. Maybe he just went and started a different business. Maybe, He's like, I should be doing something else. You know, maybe instead of being a um, defense attorney. No, actually, yeah, never mind. <laughs> I was saying it just makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Sabella lived a quiet life after that. She rekindled her relationship with her younger children. I'm not sure about the older children, but she lived to 77 years old and died in 1957. So... Good for her. Yeah. Um, these women um, were immortalized by Maureen Watkins. Like I said, she was the reporter who went and spoke to them in, while these women were on Murderous Row in Chicago. Um, most believe that Maureen, she was a playwright before being a reporter and one after. So most people believe she only became a reporter at the Chicago Tribune in order to gain access to the women on Murderous Row to get material for her play. Um, <laughs> so, That's okay. Kind of awesome. yeah. yeah. She later said she did feel guilty about her time as a reporter because she knew that the favorable and fashionable way she wrote about these women in the papers were helping them get acquitted when she knew they were guilty <laughs> and she also pointed said that at one point she prayed for a good for a good murder so she could write about it and that's when she knew she had to leave reporting so yeah yeah but her play accurately depicted female criminals and the razzle dazzle of a court case and that time of like the whole there's a whole song in the musical that's like the lawyer is like give them the old razzle dazzle and they'll let you get away with anything and that's really how it was but yeah i mean that makes sense like this is the 20s this is like right before bonnie and clyde like yeah. there wasn't a lot going on you know this was this was the gossip this was the soap operas mm-hmm. like following these stories i mean we could eat we have access to it now like what you're listening to right now is basically the equivalent to what they what people were doing when they were re- reading the newspapers yeah. and they were getting their own yeah. opinions on these people so it's like this was they were basically stars because this is the soap opera this is the drama that they're able to watch and see yeah. and and judge for themselves anyone so, could go see yeah. a court case but you had to pay money to get into an expensive movie theater or a show or something you know right yeah, so yeah this is like really picking up with uh it makes sense it, it definitely makes sense why these people were so um more immortalized yeah and people just treat them like stars because they were that's what they were reading about mm-hmm. they were basically movie stars because yeah. their lives are basically a movie like we just said mm-hmm. and female criminals especially at this time were Kind of, not that it never happened, but the fact that they were getting more common was like this novelty thing, and people were fascinated by female criminals in the twenties. Yeah. So, like, it was I mean, this even crazy still, thing. Even still, every time I feel like our podcast more than most covers a lot of female killers. Um, yeah. 
which I, I like because every single time I just feel like my mind is blown because I don't I, like how I word this. I just don't see how they could do it. I just don't understand like the mind of a killer, even if it is a female mind. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so just going to end it with a little facts about the play. Okay. Um, Maureen Watkins actually wrote herself into the musical as well. Well, the play um, with the character, Mary Sunshine, who was a reporter that is based off herself. Maureen wrote the play in 1926, and it was wildly successful. In 1927, a silent film based off the play was made. And then in 1942, another film called Roxy Hart was made starring Ginger Rogers, who I love her. <laughs> um, and then the play was made into the famous musical in 1975, which most people know the musical now. Oh, um, I see. Okay. Yes. And in 2002, Chicago was made into the Oscar winning film. It won six Oscars that year. And Chicago, the musical, is now the longest running revival show in Broadway history. It's still running today, second only to Phantom of the Opera. So people still love this story. People love crime and these characters these women just as much now as they did in the 20s so we just don't know it we didn't know it was true but it is so yeah yeah wow that's you know um good for maureen like how common was it for women to be this successful in writing a writing a play like this honestly like it was something in that time they had not seen at that time ever yeah yeah like that's you know she was very ambitious for the time and good for her because she made something amazing. Mm-hmm. Be very proud of her work. Yeah, I'm sure something it, that lasts and yeah, yeah. that's because what that this a hundred years later. Mm-hmm. Basically, I mean ninety four, ninety five years later. Yeah, that's crazy. That's insane that this show has been along that long. Wow. Yeah. So I wonder, well, yeah, then Maureen's probably long passed away. Oh, yeah. I wonder yeah. when, so did, I wonder if she got to see the musical. Probably. Uh, let me, I'm going to look up when she died. She died. Oh, no, she died six years before the musical was made. Oh, man. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Well, well, she sure lived she a long have... time. She was born in 1896 and died in 69, oh. 1969. So okay. That's a decent amount of life. Yeah. yeah. Amount of life, I just said. <laughs> a decent amount of life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not like these other women that die of the flu. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you for lo- looking all that up. That's so interesting. Of course. It's cool to see where all this comes from. You know, if I were to see the story, I'd be like, I wouldn't know that it, they were actually true stories. I didn't know. I love this musical. And I only found out that it was like a true story like a year or so ago. So that was like crazy to me. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, it's it's so cool to see how like women were. Well, not cool. It's just it's <laughs> cool to see how far we've come, I guess, in the past yeah. hundred years. Yeah. As far as how we're viewed by society 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I sometimes I kind of wish that we were still in the days where I was expected to just be a housewife. And <laughs> I could stay <laughs> <Kendrick> home. Kendrick <laughs> can go to his uh, salesman job and come home and send all his kids to college and be able yeah. to afford that while I just get to be a housewife. <laughs> Sometimes I kind of am like, why do we have to be so progressive? Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I also love my job. And <laughs> I'm I love my job. I love my job. I swear. Um yeah. <laughs> but um anyway, well, thank you for sharing and thank you everyone for listening. I'm Casey. I'm Emily. And you just heard Macabre Minds. <laughs>